1: We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
0: Welcome to the Yoga Hour, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living in today's world. Here is your host, Dr. Laurel Trujillo.
1: Welcome to the Yoga Hour, where we talk about yoga in all its depth and breadth as a path to a spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today's world. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. And our topic today is Claim Your Inner Joy and Freedom. And this is part one of a two part conversation. How do the ancient teachings of the Vedas support us in claiming our birthright as powerful spiritual beings? To answer this question, I have as uh, my guest today Acharya Shunya. Acharya is an award-winning and internationally renowned spiritual teacher and scholar of Advaita. Advaita is non-dual wisdom. She is classically trained master of yoga and Ayurveda and has dedicated her life to dissemination of Vedic knowledge for the spiritual uplifting of beings. She is president of the Awakened Self Foundation and the founder of the spiritual and educational nonprofit, Vedika Global. Acharya is the author of Ayurveda Lifestyle Wisdom and also of the book we will be discussing today, The Sovereign Self. Claim your inner joy and freedom with the empowering wisdom of the Vedas, Upanishads, and Bhagavad Gita. So, welcome, Acharya Shunya. I'm so delighted that you could join me today on the Yoga Hour.
2: It is such a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Laura.
1: So before we dive into our conversation about claiming your inner joy and freedom, let's begin with a moment of contemplation. Let's begin as we mean to go on with a, a yoga moment, a moment of present moment awareness. Oh. So let's begin by bringing our attention to our bodies, whatever we're doing, whether we're sitting or walking, just feeling our bodies in space and feeling all of the parts of our bodies that are touching something that supports our weight. Just feeling that connection. And then turning our attention to the breath this wonderful tool that is always with us. And just noticing the next time you take an inhalation and exhalation. The next inhalation, feeling the cool air in the nostrils. And on the exhalation, the warm air flowing out, letting go of whatever may have happened earlier today letting go of perhaps plans you have for later on today, just being here now. And as we rest here, right where we are, here's something to contemplate from the Yoga Hours founder, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, taken from her book, Living for the Sake of the Soul. Suffering can result from believing the stories we tell ourselves about the way things are. Suffering can result from believing the stories we tell ourselves about the way things are. Our thoughts and stories they weave are a product of the mind. They give us only a partial view of life, not the bigger picture. Step out of the story and see. Step out of the story and see. So once again, Acharya Shunya, welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm so delighted you could join me today and to discuss your wonderful book, The Sovereign Self, Claim Your Inner Joy and Freedom with the Empowering Wisdom of the Vedas, Upanishads, and Bhagavad Gita. Your book was just released actually at the end of December December 29th so congratulations on the new book.
2: Thank you so much. It's I feel like the book is very timely given the events on our planet on our nation and a discussion on sovereignty and what does it really mean. I think is timely.
1: Absolutely. It's it's absolutely perfect. <clears throat> and this led us to want to have you back on the show. <laughs> again in February so this is just part one as I mentioned of a of the conversation about your book Um, and I did want to say that oh one thing that was just really remarkable to me as I've been reading your book is first of all it's so accessible Um, I think you present these ancient this ancient wisdom in a way that makes it very accessible to readers and there's also something really unique about your particular voice in in the book that is just um I don't know, it's, it has really touched me, you know, to be able to read it. And um, again, I I just really thank you for the book. So um, previously, um, we have had the pleasure of interviewing you on the Yoga Hour to talk about your your first book, Ayurveda Lifestyle Wisdom. So this is something um, obviously different. What inspired you to write this new book, Sovereign Self on the wisdom of Advaita Vedanta?
2: Ayurveda is the system of health and healing from India, sister science of yoga, and both Ayurveda and yoga emerge from a deeper fountainhead of wisdom, which is specifically a non dual wisdom known as the Vedic wisdom or Advaita. And I am a lineage holder of a 2000 year old lineage, and really, this is the knowledge that I've shared in Sovereign Self is the knowledge that has given me everything. Yes, Ayurveda gave me a healthy body. Yes, yoga, the physical yoga shows you the path to be physically and mentally poised and healthy. But living a life as a non-dual being, what does that even feel like when you're a soccer mom? Because I was one, now my son <laughs> is a what does that even mean when you and your husband are having an argument on child rearing, you know, opposing values? Because I come from a lineage which is not monastic. We are known as Grihastha Sadhu or householder lineage. Mm-hmm. And we're supposed to find a non-dual bliss within the marriage with the in-laws, with the grocer, with <laughs> the, you know, <laughs> with the commute to your kid's school while five kids are yelling in the car or a carpool. Right. And so for many years I've been walking this fine line between being a spiritual being and knowing that there is a non-dual truth and then leading a life that was not that blissful <laughs> in duality and and wondering if karma chose the wrong person to bestow a title. <laughs> but then clearly <laughs> that darkness was important for me to find the light. And it was in that grim and dirt and conflict and shadow and confusion and and self-abandonment and pushing another one away that I found the unconditional space to be me and to be the big me, to be a non-dual me. So this book is born from truth, from authenticity, from the journey of a woman, a mom, a daughter-in-law, a daughter, a spiritual leader, a a sage for the world. And I just feel relieved that if I can do this, and if I can feel so good, then anybody can. So that's why I had to keep it simple. And (laughs) though I became a lineage bearer at 24, I didn't take on my first student until 40 Because I wasn't ready, but now I'm ready. And it's been more than a decade of being
1: ready and teaching at the world stage. Well, it's to our benefit that we have this lovely book now. So let's start with the title. You named your book Sovereign Self. So what does the term Sovereign Self mean to you?
2: Yeah, I mean, when we look outside ourselves sovereignty and it can mean like, you know, power over another, power over difficult circumstances, power to uh, experience some kind of an ability to be invincible vis-a-vis the world, its people, its situations. But for me, sovereignty is all about power over your own mind, power over your own thoughts, power over your own impulses, because unless you're a master of your own domain, there is no question of even thinking about being sovereign in the world, because it's our own slippery slope of toxic self-sabotage that or indulgences or confusions or betrayals and and conf- and conflicts that 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 let us down at the end of the day nobody has let me down but me and at the end of the day nobody has picked me up but me
0: mm-hmm.
2: so sovereignty means being the master or mistress of your own divine potential your being mm-hmm. and then then it's a party. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: right, yeah. So um, at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, we use a prayer from the Vedas uh, for realizing this truth that what we seek is within us. And that that prayer is uh, the Asatoma prayer. Uh, lead us from the unreal to the real. Lead us from the darkness of ignorance to the light of truth. Lead us from the error of identifying with the changing body and mind to the realization of our own divine, immortal self. So, and I was um, happy to see that prayer also on the frontispiece of your book. It's uh, how you, you know, began your book. So, your book begins by discussing this self, uh, this self with a capital S, um, and you write this self with a capital S, is called Atman, a Sanskrit word meaning that which is boundless. And I just love that. I love that you know, definition of Atman, that which is boundless. So do you see finding the Atman, this innermost self, as the key to discovering our inner joy and freedom?
2: Yeah, especially because it's easy, especially because it's our truth, especially because we don't have to work too hard because it's already there. We just have to reclaim it. And when something is not present, then you have to go find it. But when something is in you, you've just misplaced it or forgotten about it, or you're not paying attention, then it's hard. So finding this boundless essence is simply a matter of, uh, you know, Finding your own glasses that you were looking everywhere around, but they were on your head all this time. (laughs) Right?
0: (laughs) A great
2: example. Atman, or your boundless potential to be or become what you need to become, to be creative, to reinvent yourself, to rewrite your life story, to love yourself some more. Every moment that boundless potential awaits you. And so then the book begins with what is Atma and then teaches us a way back to remembering it in a moment-to-moment experience. And um, so sovereignty begins with knowledge of something boundless because I'll just say it really quickly that it's this sense of being finite, being collapsed, Mm -hmm. like not having enough chances Mm -hmm. or being this being that's decaying by the minute. This sense of a fragility is what causes bondage that's what makes us settle for for people relationships circumstances that don't serve our truth but when you know that there's something boundless and infinite within you i don't know laurel but when when i'm when i'm in a corner due to life circumstances or whatever I deep breathe, and I remember who I am and I'm ready to roar again
0: mm-hmm. like
2: a lioness. Spring again. <laughs> I love that. And I'm ready because I because it's only a belief system that I don't I'm not boundless. Mm-hmm. And when I remember my Atman,
1: I don't negotiate with darkness anymore. Mm. I don't. Mm. And it's that feeling that uh, makes the, the verse uh, from the Bhagavad Gita, which is 240, um, even a little bit of this practice removes great fear.
0: That makes yeah.
1: that that one verse my favorite verse of the Bhagavad yeah. Gita, is just to remember, because there is that moment when we are feeling afraid, when we are feeling overwhelmed, when we are feeling that we're not enough. And yet, if we can remember this divine, immortal self. And it really helps, by the way, to have a regular practice to remind ourselves <laughs> about that, because it is so easy to forget. So, so well um, yeah. oh, thank you. So um, as a, a lineage holder, you were blessed to be raised in a household that lived the wisdom of the Vedas. And you quote Baba, your spiritual teacher and paternal grandfather as saying this world is an enchanted show, Shunya. A spell has spread from mind to mind throughout the world so that the one appears as many. This spell is called Maya. So I thought it would be good to talk about the little bit, that a little bit. So uh, tell us about Maya and how it affects our minds.
2: I think it helps to see the movie Matrix to read my book. <laughs> Do we take the red pill? (laughs) (laughs) So it feels like the Sears knew that there's like this hypnotic Kool-Aid or something that all of us humans, like we got the special mind. Why is the human birth so precious in yogic Vedic tradition? Because it's the only mind that's not only aware, but it's self-aware. And it's aware of, of the pain of all beings. But this mind is in the beginning as if drunk, as if hypnotized, as if enchanted. And, it, and that's called Maya. Because of which we don't see the reality of the one heart beating, of the one sun lighting up every eye. We only see separation, difference. Race, creed, gender, and we're we're at each other's throat. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the spiritual journey is about waking up from this matrix of Maya, and beginning to see. That's why in Bhagavad Gita I said that what is daytime, what is day for the average person, is night for the yogi. And what is night for the sleepwalking, regular worldly being drunk in Maya, is daytime for the yogi. We are able to see when others are asleep. And so I wanted to write a chapter on Maya because sometimes in Maya we hurt ourselves, we make stupid mistakes, we 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 Ill, we get alienated from something authentic. We knew better and we still hurt ourselves and the planet. And instead of feeling bad or, you know, or getting caught up in, like, um, self-berating attitudes, we just need to breathe and say, we don't know better. We need wisdom. We need light. And we need to be compassionate towards ourselves. Mm -hmm. Only then can we really begin to learn a new path. Mm -hmm. I've done stupid things when I was in the matrix. Have you?
1: Oh. (laughs) Oh, gosh, I think maybe one or two. <laughs> no, of course, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and there is a t- deep sense of chagrin when you look back and at some of the things that you've done in your life. It's, yeah, there's a lot, big need for, you know, for self-forgiveness. So I thought it would, you know, I, I would mention, I really enjoyed the way that you talk about ego in the book and how ego, I think you describe it as, was is it a matrix of thoughts or a matrix of ideas?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, both work. Yeah, so um, I, I don't know. To me, that was something that was very powerful to to read about, to think about the ego, this false sense of self, uh, as as this you know matrix of ideas that surround it, and that those ideas are really based on you know uh, um, uh, attractions and aversions, the ragas and dveshas. and um, it it just as i was reading it of course it, it just reminded me of the of the yoga teachings about the five kleshas you know how it starts with avidya you know or ignorance uh ignorance of our true self and then is you know perpetuated by um by the ego you know sense and then the you know attractions and aversions i i thought that was just you very well written and, and very accessible. So can you say a little bit more about that, about the ego and then, you know, our desires and how our desires, you know, build this, basically this ego.
2: Yeah. You know, when I was growing up, my Baba would tell us stories and the ahamkara or the ego as known in Sanskrit literally means aham means I, and kara means maker. So it's almost like a, like you have a pottery maker or a, clothing maker or a shoemaker you have a story maker and the story maker is the ego and so each one of us has a story maker and the story maker is incessantly stepping stories so i loved it when you began with yogacharya's words on let's you know see beyond the story and most of us are not able to because we talked about maya the matrix then the epicenter of that matrix within each one of us is the ego. Mm-hmm. And it wants to buy the, the. it wants to believe in the matrix, hook, line, and sinker. It doesn't yeah. want to think beyond. And it becomes what it sees or hears and believes to be true. And most of us, we're like incessantly swirling around this, Story maker, and it would have been fun if the story maker was darn original. It's not even original. It just <laughs> borrows. Same old stories of victimhood and misery and can do and nope and not me, you know, and I'm just going to, you know, wrinkle up and die and I'll be alone and nobody loves me and I'm not worthy of love and I'm not worthy of anything more than that. It's the same old stories going around our planet and it's going to grab onto the darkest ones because those are most dramatic But then the ahamkara is interesting because it's not a bad guy, really, according to the Vedas. And you expose it to sincere teachers, knowledge that is eternal, doesn't belong to one kind of people who mate together or mate a certain way or eat a certain way or pray a certain way, which is universal, which awakens you from the matrix. And slowly, what would you have it? The ego maker just becomes quiet the story maker becomes quiet and it sees through the story and then it just you know goes it dissolves and it becomes a friend and it it guides us all the way It, it so there is I I didn't talk about it in this book but basically I was working off of the same mind I mean I do talk about it in the book but it's Basically, it's the same ego being a worldly ego or a soul driven ego. Mm. So instead of being world driven, slowly it becomes soul driven. And then the same ego becomes our friends. Mm.
1: Yeah, it's really lovely, lovely image. So um, in the book, um, you talk about how Maya leads us to these attachments or samsaras to seeking happiness outside of ourselves. And in your book, you have a diagram of the wheel of samsara. So can you describe this process? And just as an aside, as I read these things and I think about how the Vedas have been with us now for thousands of years, I am just so struck by the wisdom that has been there, you know, for for that period of time. It's isn't it quite remarkable the insight and understanding that the rishis and rishikas had of how our mind works. I, Indiana, I just thank you for acknowledging that and and pointing that out because,
2: I mean, that's what I'm trying to do. Like in a way, this book is also um, shining the light of the Vedas and present presenting them beyond. The hocus pocus magic pill, mantra, mantra tantra, fix it all religious stuff that emerges from India, like this nebulous fog of stuff, which is called Vedic. Whereas the Vedas are so steeped in human psychology, Lara, you know, with your background in medicine and everything, you can really appreciate where it's coming from so yeah, that was one of my ideas that this book should represent that. So the samsara that you asked about is fascinating because uh, if there are 7 million minds on this planet today, give or take a million or two. Because 7, billion,
1: the- 7 billion. 7 billion, right? Yeah, right?
2: Yeah. We have 7 billion people, so if we have 7 billion minds. Then we have 7 billion mini-worlds. Or mini universes in Vedas known as Samsara. Mm. So each one of us is carrying a world within ourselves and it's a subjective world known as Samsara. And the problem is that it's a suffering creator. And it's interesting how the Vedas shed light on it 5,000 years ago. And it said that it begins with like a simple like or dislike, but it doesn't end there. Soon the like and dislike. Which is fine to have a preference, but when it starts becoming compulsive, like we must have what we need, it becomes an obsession uh, and an aversion, which then leads to grief, which then leads to anger, which then leads to delusion, which leads to disconnection from the soul. And finally, you're walking around a full-blown, delusional, half-crazy person going to work in your Mercedes, you know, mm-hmm.
1: and
2: nobody <laughs> know. But you're suffering and you're creating suffering. Yeah. That is samsara.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> and uh just in the few seconds we have left before we go to the break, um, I love the story of the person whose um initial preference was for silence. This is a student of yours and he wanted silence, and it eventually became such an, an obsession to him that he was shout he started to shout at people that they weren't being quiet, quiet, which was, I just, I just thought that was, that was tremendous. And we'll come back and and pick this up after the break. Um, You're listening to the yoga hour with our guest, Acharya Shunya, author of the book we're discussing today, the sovereign self. You can find out more about uh, Acharya Shunya and her work at her website. Actually it's uh, vedicaglobal.org, but you also have um, another one, right? Acharya It is awakenself.com. Awakenself.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show, and we'll come right back after the break to our discussion about finding joy in our sovereign self.
0: Since 1890, silent unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour, Insights and Practices for Spiritually Conscious Living.
1: Welcome back from the break. We're speaking today with Acharya Shunya, the first female head of her two thousand year old Indian spiritual lineage. She's the author of the book we're discussing today, *The Sovereign Self*. So, Acharya Shunya, before the break, we were talking about these um, samsaras and this wheel of samsara, where we get all caught up in the, you know, in the delusion and really. It, there's a whole process that eventually leads to anger and estrangement. Um, so, um, in addition to the the unhealthy desires and cravings that we have that cause attachments and suffering, uh, the vasanas, we also have healthy desires, the uh, purushartha. So, um, what makes the difference between healthy and unhealthy desires?
2: the unhealthy desires we get off on the samsara wheel and start becoming delusional and obsessive and compulsive and raging and lamenting when we don't pay attention to a couple of things one is that all our desires should can exist we can work towards them but we should not allow them to bind us we should not allow Them to trap us, so they should be non binding. Mm -hmm. Secondly, we should watch out for all our desires being completely material in nature material bodies. I want this body in my life, and material things like I want that car in my life. If we can somehow uh, also bring in spiritual desires, that'll bring in the concept of you know. Am I okay? Am I enough? Am I all right? Can I meditate instead of like calling somebody insistently or texting them? Mm-hmm. And finally, um, universal. This is leading us to the concept of purusharthas or what are known as desires that as a soul, we must pursue. We must give ourselves a joyous permission to do. And I know that my friend yogacharya Chari Ellen O'Brien has written a beautiful book elucidating the purusharthas and in my own book sovereign self i talk about it now purusharthas are what are for the soul to pursue and that includes the purushartha of um, giving ourselves the permission to have pleasure Mm -hmm. and um, uh, uh, pleasure wealth material things known as karma Um, and just 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 pleasure for pleasure's sake Happiness for happiness sake. Then wealth, which is artha, which gives us a house, which gives us a profession, a car, just material things that make us secure. So artha, kama take care of our pleasure and security and it's common with all animals. But there is other kind of desires that we must activate with knowledge. And one set of those goals are called dharma. And dharma is all about how to find your own value, how to add value to the planet, and how to add to the value of other beings. It teaches us to shine the light, to be conscious, to be truly humane, to be truly evolved in our awareness. And finally, moksha, which is all about, my book is all about that. Moksha means the end, moha plakshaya, the end of all delusions, the end of even this delusion that I'm a limited being and remembering that I'm a boundless being. I have inexhaustible resources that I can tap into. I can just shut my eyes, take a deep breath, Look towards inside and I shall find something. So these kind of desires are known as universal desires. These are worthy desires. These are recommended desires. These will not take us towards suffering. And uh, finally, they should be also reciprocal. When I receive things from people, I have desires to receive things. I should also have desire to give back the concept of karma yoga. And finally, these desires should be pure. While I'm pursuing my pleasure, while I'm pursuing wealth, while even I'm pursuing dharma and moksha, let me not develop... you know, material arrogance or spiritual ag- arrogance, let me remain pure in my being. I had come like a pure innocent child. I should live like a pure being and I should exit like a pure being. So mm. when we have these kind of guidance, which is in the book of course in detail, we can have the we can have the cake and eat it too. <laughs> <laughs> I love without that. Interjection, without indigestion yeah. We can have it all. I have everything. I I don't live a life. I don't have to live in a cave to prove a spiritual point. Right. I can have everything. And yet, when I go to bed, Laurel, I'm like a child. Mm -hmm. I'm innocent. I'm not grabbing on to things. Yeah. And what has been taken away from me has been taken away by a higher order, only to come back as more light and radiance. I talk about these things to my Mm. students. Okay.
1: Indeed. And there's something wonderful to me about the purushartas that that it's okay to have wealth. It's okay to have pleasure. It's necessary. These things are also necessary and not necessarily bad in themselves. And there is attachment still. We can get attached to the things that we have. And to me, what's so interesting is about once you take a step back and you see these steps, like you see this wheel of samsara that you were just describing where we have this initial preference and then that leads to to a, a desire. And then once there's desire and the desire goes unfulfilled, there can be anger. And it, it's so fascinating when you can uh, stay in a witness consciousness and you can see that process unfold in your own mind and that is such a helpful—it's such a helpful thing to to um, have a way to hold that—that that gives me a, a sense of distance from it, which is which is so useful for me. So, in talking about witch, witness consciousness, can you talk more about what that is? In the
2: ancient Vedas, specifically in the text called the Upanishads, we are told that well. You know, the body keeps us solid and secure and the mind um, helps us achieve what we want, be it material or spiritual goals. What does the soul do? What is the job of the self? Well, the self is the inner nor. So while the mind and body become the doer, the self is the nor. The self is just the witness. The self is the awareness. And therefore, atma is also known as sakshi, the silent witness, the all-knowing witness. Mm -hmm. Now, often we don't even know this noor. We just remain a doer. And sometimes we know the noor, but but there is a conflict between the doer and the noor because the doer does what it wants to do. But the noor knows better. Why does the noor know better? Because noor is the self. Noor is the god. Nor is the power of the universe dwelling within us. And if we only became quiet, we don't even need to read my book. The book <laughs> lives inside us, yes. believe it or not. Those rishis and rishikas, the seers, the male and the male seers and the feminine seers, the rishikas, just became quiet and wanted to know the quiet witness within and the entire way that was revealed to them mm-hmm. so i'm not trying to dismiss my book all i'm trying to say is we look for everything outside us everything is inside us because the witness has witnessed the beginning of this universe mm-hmm. the witness has witnessed You entering this body. The witness is witnessing you. You ill-treat or take care of the body. The witness shall witness you exiting this body at death. This Mm -hmm. witness shall witness you travel through different lokas and dimensions. The witness is witnessing your every desire, even if you hide it from your own self. Mm -hmm. The witness is your truth. Know thy witness. Become the witness. And you shall know it only through one door the door of meditation. Mm. A second door is the door of contemplation, which I provide through my book. Mm. Because once we know what to contemplate before and after that meditation, we start leading this life as a witness. And we bring the the knower and the doer together in a happy state of yoga or union. Mm. And then world watch out. Somebody, somebody special. Has woken up.
1: Mm. That's what's awakening. Wow, that was amazing. I just loved your description of the witness consciousness. That was amazing. So, <clears throat> what there are three main practices of, of Kriya Yoga set forth in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras in, in the second uh, book, second uh, part, um, as um, self discipline, self study, and self surrender. So we we do talk about those quite a bit, but it it just um, to me they are so central. So this this uh, self study, this asking of the question of who am I, and perhaps some listeners for them it, it may be a new question, but it's a wonderful because people may think I'm my thoughts, I'm whatever I'm thinking at the time. Well, how are you aware of your thoughts? How are how are you how are you aware? What is it? this essential you. And if your thoughts are changing all the time, well, wait, which, which one am I? (laughs) I can think of, you know, uh, the thoughts proceed with such a rapidity. I could think of 10 different thoughts in a very short period of time. So which one of those am I, if I'm my thoughts? So anyway, you were much more eloquent when you were describing the witness consciousness, but I I think it is an essential, essential, idea for us to reflect on this you know who who are we who are we in this self-study and then um, the self-discipline is uh, I love the way Yogacharya O'Brien describes it as um, living for the sake of the soul really doing what makes your soul happy and not necessarily what um, what your small self might want to do having that uh, ice cream right before bedtime or, or what have you so, um, let's see. There were two universal laws from the Vedas that your teacher Baba taught you. Um, I am different from what I experience, and I'm free for whatever from whatever I am not. So, can you talk about that? I am different from what I experience.
2: Yeah, and for that, I'm going to just dip my my attention into an ancient text known as the Mandukya Upanishad, an ancient Vedic text, and in this, a beautiful teaching has been given. The most, the first teachings of witness consciousness come from this text, in which the teacher tells the student, "Look, uh, when you are in the waking world, your ego identifies with." This is my bed. This is my pajamas. This is my teacher. This is my mother. This is my friend. This is my uh, tumbler in which I drink my glass of water. And this is all there. This is your life, your story. But when you fall asleep and your ego becomes a dream ego, then it has a dream teacher, a dream tumbler, a dream house. And it might not even live in this house. It has forgotten everything about the waking world, it has created several new worlds. It has created several new bodies, not even this one body that you were so identified with. You might be a peacock or, or, or a tree or, or, a, or a horse. Or, and, and so your ego is having these realities. And when you are in the dream and you are thirsty, you might be spending the whole night looking for water in the dream. And it may not be enough that you had water sitting next to you in the waking world because that water is not enough for you in the dream world. In the dream world, you need dream water because that's your reality. The dream reality is your reality and you experience joy and sorrow there. And then there is a third state when you are deep asleep. And even the dreams are gone now. And that's when you have no awareness at all. But the only awareness you wake up with is, gosh, I had no awareness. So there was an awareness of no awareness. Mm-hmm. Gosh, <laughs> I was so fast asleep. I had no dreams. So there was somebody to report who you, but there's something, there's something that just doesn't become that. Because when you're awake, you forget the dream world and the sleep world. When you're in the dream world, you forget the wake world and the deep sleep. When you're in the deep sleep, you forget the other two worlds. So they're all mutually exclusive. But there is one witness within you, something that is watching you through all these experiences, which says, I'm awake. Oh, I'm awake now. The dream is ending. Oh, this was a dream. Oh, I was deep sleeping. So I had no dream. And that deepest Part of you is known as Turiya Avastha, or that deep part of you is Sakshi. That is your witness. So therefore, you are not, neither the actor of the waking world, neither the several actors of the dream world, and neither the no actor in the deep sleep world. Mm -hmm. These are all mere experiences that come and go. And you are not that which you experience. And if you are not that which you experience, none of that has lasting power to damage you, stain you, hurt you, limit you, hold you back,
1: and least of all, define you. Mm. That was just beautiful. That's just beautiful. So this witness consciousness that we've been talking about, what what is its importance on the spiritual path? Why is it important for us to, to, to get to know it?
2: You know, Laurel, it was so important for me, I'll tell you. That's why I wrote so much about it, because, you know, if, especially if you're like a, a an Indian woman in, in the 21st century from a traditional lineage in living in the Bay Area, being a leader of the world. I had so many cultural swirls around me, tradition and modern. Then I'm a woman and I'm a wife and then I have traditional roles as a daughter-in-law or a daughter, and then I have all these roles. And while I was carrying them with a lot of grace, which is fine, which is a lot of of dharma, a lot of consciousness, at some point, I just said, these are roles, and I'm the soul. Mm -hmm. And that separation between roles and soul could finally happen, not just through words, but at an experiential level, By claiming my ultimate identity as a witness. As a knower, not the doer. Mm -hmm. As the witness, not the actor. And so many times I'm just able to see the role and I'm kind of breathing separately from it. It's needed on the spiritual path.
1: Absolutely. I really enjoyed the first guided practice that you have in the book guided practice, the one truth. And in that you say, the Vedas say that you become what you believe. Therefore I have provided some thought suggestions to help deconstruct illusion and guide your ego toward constructing an identity that is closer to your sovereign truth. And let me just read a few of these. So I am self, the ultimate reality. I love this next one. I am enough unto myself. I think that would be a lovely thing to remember for our listeners. My bliss lies inside me. I am beautiful as I am. And then this is the last one I'll read. I am made of sunshine, moonlight, and starlight. I just love that. So there's some, some thoughts that our listeners can reflect on and um, hopefully help them to perhaps access this, um, this part of the sovereign self. So um, meditation we've touched on this a little bit, but I did want to bring it you know more front and center in our discussion. So what do you see as the value of meditation?
2: Meditation is the willing decision to let the world do its own thing while you go reclaim your own truth. It's the willingness to sit down so we, we become still in the body because otherwise the, ahamkara, the story maker, the doer will make the body very busy, busy, busy. Always moving. So we say, you know what? No. We're going to just sit in one place. It could be sitting, lying, standing. No problem. And then we say, you know what? We're going to do some pratyahara and pull in the senses. So you could do a a meditation with open eyes, like advanced seekers do, I can do it. But um, to begin with, we pull in our senses and shutting the eye is really helpful. And we have five senses and we can't really pull in the the skin, but we can pull in the eyes, we can pull in the ears to look within, hear within. And as we do that, we have Indriya Nigraha pull in the senses, Mano Nigraha pull in the mind. Well, if they're not going to go here and there, guess what? They're going to encounter something really huge inside us because it's already there. Mm -hmm. It's just that we were so busy trying to find the cake in the neighbor's house. We just didn't look in our own kitchen. Right. But now that there is COVID and lockdown and you can't go out anywhere, you're going to find it. And you can enjoy your own bliss. And so people are taught, you know, close your eyes for ten minutes. We give them ten minutes, three minutes, five minutes, twenty minutes. But then, as the meditation deepens, one doesn't need any rules. One can't wait to meditate. Meditate is the way to meet God. Mm. It's the it's it it feeds the spiritual seekers and. Any form of meditation that takes you closer to your truth, you don't need any clinical evidence to prove it's working because you wake up as if you've been to a spa. You've been rejuvenated. (laughs) Why? Because you met the ultimate boundless essence. You touched a drop of it and you've come back happy. Mm. So I highly advocate meditation I don't say you have to meditate the way I teach it. I say find any bona fide, genuine, truly joyous teacher and learn meditation and do it Mm -hmm. and find your inner treasure because you have to open that door. Just talk, 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 no meditation. Mm -hmm. then, Then it's not real.
1: It's not real. Sorry about that. Um <clears throat> anyway, um so meditation, yes. Um what I love about meditation and having a regular meditation practice is that it Reaffirms my connection, reaffirms my connection with the, um, with that, with this sovereign self that we're talking about. And it makes it easier to remember. And because there is such a distraction in Maya, such an amazing distraction, uh, having these regular reminders regular practice that reminds us of who we are, helps us to access it. And and again, this is something I, you know, I knew from reading, um, but it's interesting to see it in my own life. When I don't have a strong a meditation practice, then that's when I get um, caught up much more easily in uh, that wheel of samsara that we were talking about. Yeah. Meditation for me
2: too does the same thing. And, and, and then even if you're not caught, you can go into your own world and kind of have some magical
1: encounters, right? So it gets better and better, that's all. (laughs) (laughs) So here we are at the end of the program in the last minute or so. Do you have any words of encouragement or inspiration that you would like to share with our listeners?
2: I want to say that no matter how crazy your life feels or if you feel disempowered and disillusioned I just want to say that sovereignty is your birthright and um, sometimes really ancient wisdom can be useful in our modern lives because it's timeless give yourself a chance by giving the Vedas a chance that's
1: lovely and with that You've been listening to The Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, host and producer of the show. My guest, Acharya Shunya, and I have been discussing her book, The Sovereign Self, Claim Your Inner Joy and Freedom with the Empowering Wisdom of the Vedas, Upanishads, and Bhagavad Gita. You can find more about Acharya Shunya and her work at um, her website, Remind me again—is it awakening? Because I've got the Vedica Global Abacant one, but self.com. awakeningself.com. Awakeningself.com. Abacant awakened self. self.com Thank you. So thank you, Acharya Shunya, so much for joining me today on the Yoga Hour. We look forward to part two of this conversation, which will be coming next month in February. Um, on the ancient teachings of the Vedas and how they support us in claiming our birthright as powerful spiritual beings. Thank you. For listeners, we encourage you to join us for the many online programs offered by Yogacharya O'Brien and the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment including morning meditation, which occurs daily from 6.30 to 7.30 a.m. Pacific time, afternoon meditation from uh, 4 to 4.30 Pacific, which is every day except Sunday, and then Sunday satsang from 10 to 11 a.m. for meditation and uh, spiritual teachings. I encourage you to sign up for a couple, uh, one of our upcoming meditation retreats, so Living with Higher Purpose with Reverend Sundry Jensen, which is coming February 4th to 7th, uh, it's just, um, was that next week? Also coming up in April, April 15th to 18th, is a spring meditation retreat with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. You can find out more about these and other online programs at csecenter.org or EllenGraceO'Brien.com. Join us next time on the Yoga Hour when I will be talking with Sean Murphy, recipient of a 2018 National Endowment of the Arts Fellowship in Creative Writing and Zen teacher. We will be discussing how stories from revered spiritual teachers can nourish and guide us on our path to spiritual awakening. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, founder and advisor, Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, assistant producers Ann Hayes and Mickey Coronado, CSE's Global Media Outreach Manager, Holly Gray, and Jeff Comfort and Louis Pagan in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all you meet. Bye now.